Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, we are looking at Big Hero 6 this morning, uh, one of five movies you picked for our summer series at the movies. And uh, in all of these, our goal is not simply to celebrate a movie or be advocates even necessarily for a particular movie, but, but to see what Christian truths we can find in these films for how we live our lives today. That when we, when we work at, when we intentionally use our eyes and ears and minds to see Christ in movies, in life, in general, in our workplaces, in our families, wherever it may be, that is a, that is a gift and a skill that helps us keep Jesus front and center in our lives. Following Jesus is not something we check off our list every once in a while or when we're here on Sunday. When we make a decision to follow Jesus, to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, to be a Christian, it's a lifestyle. It's a life approach from here on. And part of that is not just what we get out of Sunday mornings, but how we can allow him to show us himself and, and reveal himself in everyday life. So that's part of what we're trying to do is learn from God's spirit in almost any setting so that we can live our lives out all through the week and not just th- these times on Sunday mornings because that's the way God wants us to live. In the, the first week of the series was the Avengers and we saw that we we're better together. Uh, next was the movie The Princess Bride where we realized God has a relentless love for you, for me, for everyone Last week we saw in Unbroken that forgiveness frees, and, and this week we turn to Big Hero 6. Now, Walt Disney Animation Studios released Big Hero 6 last November. It is the first, I didn't realize, it's the first superhero film by Walt Disney. The first one they've done, it is their 54th animated movie. I should say it's their first animated superhero film. And it was actually inspired by a little-known Marvel Comics superhero team of the same name. Uh, it was the highest-grossing film in 2014, uh, bringing in over $650 million, And it won the Academy Award for the Best Animated Feature. Received critical acclaim. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes put it at 89% positive reviews. And the story is set in San Francisco. Now, as soon as I say that, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I was trying, I was looking at this, I'm, what in the world? And some of the reading I did kind of helped. It is a kind of a futuristic mashup of San Francisco and Tokyo, located where San Francisco is today, combining the cultures of Tokyo and California. Uh, it's not stated in the film, but in some of the reading that I did this past week, the filmmaker's idea was that it's, it's based on a sort of a parallel timeline, if you will, a parallel universe, where after the, the great earthquake of 1906 that devastated San Francisco, that there were many um, Japanese immigrants living in the, in the city at the time, and they rebuilt it, and so it took on this uh, somewhat different flavor, if you will. The lead character in the, the movie is, is as, as Landry mentioned, Hiro, but it, it, it's a little bit confusing because the movie says Big Hero, H-E-R-O, his name is Hiro, H-I-R-O, so they're not, they're not synonymous, Big Hero, uh, and, and his last name's Hamada, he is a, nine, a 14-year-old genius raised by his Aunt Cass along with his older brother Tadashi, 
uh, after the death of their parents. Hiro is convinced by Tadashi to enroll, enroll in a robotic center at San Francisco. San Francisco. <sighs> I'm working on that. Uh, Institute of Technology led by a Professor Robert Callahan. But to enroll, he has to demonstrate his ability through a science project at a science fair. So he, he invents something called microbots that are swarms of tiny robots controlled by a neural transmitter, I know you all have one of those, to do almost anything that he imagines. And Professor Callahan is very impressed, welcomes him to the Institute, yet later that evening there is a fire at the, the exhibition hall and uh, his brother Tadashi rushes back in because he believes that Professor Callahan is still in there and he's trying to save him. But he runs into the building and as soon as he does, there is an explosion and uh, we know that Hero's brother loses his life, and so does, we believe, Professor Callahan. So he loses all interest in everything, anything, just staying away from school, all that. And in the process, he accidentally hurts himself in his room, and he shared his room with his big brother, Tadashi. And, and Tadashi's invention, an inflatable medical robot named Baymax, inflates, saying, Hello, I am Baymax, your per personal health care companion. And this is him. And, and I, I had this overwhelming sense that I was watching Ghostbusters again. Any, any of the rest of you know what I'm talking about? He asks on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your pain? Uh, we learned that Tadashi programmed Baymax with a chip loaded with medical analysis information, but also gave him this kind, non-threatening manner. It was really a part of Tadashi himself. And interestingly, the animators, uh, in modeling how Baymax walked, modeled it after toddlers with full diapers. True story. True story. Um, when then he's finished, he, and to return to his sleep mode, he has to be told, I am satisfied with my care. So Hero discovers one of the microbots in a coat pocket, and Baymax uh, takes it and, and tries to go try to find where it's leading them, and they find a warehouse where more microbots are being made. And I'm not trying to tell you the whole story, just enough to kind of give you a, a sense of it. And there, a masked man appears and tries to kill Hiro and Baymax with the microbots. And so Hiro now realizes that what he thought was destroyed in the fire, the microbots, had been stolen that, in the fire that killed his brother and Professor Callahan. So he ends up being joined by friends of his, of his brothers, science students, uh, students um, Gogo, Wasabi, uh, Honey Lemon, and Fred. And if you've seen the movie, I, I got to also say, does anybody else think of Shaggy when they see Fred? When I see Fred and, and, and I think of Scooby-Doo and Shaggy, okay, that's just me. They create some special weapons to to seek out who stole the microbots and caused the death of Tadashi. So uh, as the movie progresses, what we discover is that both Hiro and the masked man have suffered the loss of a loved one. We know from the beginning that Hiro has lost his brother Tadashi, but we soon learn that the masked man has lost a daughter. And, and I won't give you any more about him because I don't want to give away a big part of the story, but it's obvious then that the, both the masked man and Hiro respond very similarly to their loss with, uh, with anger and with a strong desire for revenge. 
And, and yet fortunately for Hero, his new friends and Baymax surround him and ultimately help him overcome his anger. While the, the masked man has no one around him, he is simply operating on his own and his anger nearly destroys all of them and the city. And it, it really points to um, what I would say is a battle that all of us experience when we experience a loss or we suffer a tragedy or we go some, through something very difficult. And the question is, will I, by going through that, will, it, will, it, will I choose to go bitter or better? Will it push me in this direction or that? And, and, and if we don't think about it, most of us, most of the time, probably go toward bitter and go toward revenge and wanting to get even and, and working it out. Because here's the thing, all of us, at one point or another, we're all, we all deal with a loss in life. And when we talk about loss, some of them are big losses, like very close loved ones and, or, or things like that. But loss can also be the, the losing of the ability or, or losing of a dream. Or it can be losing my pen at, at work. You know, and, and, and all of the, there's all these various things, but, but the point of, of what God has done, God has created in you and me, in all human beings, this ability to cope with loss through something called grief. Now, typically when I say grief to you, you immediately conjure up the loss of a loved one, which is true. But grief is really so much more pervasive and prevalent in all of our lives because all of us deal with loss. If I lose a, my favorite pen, I may go through the grief process in a matter of two or three minutes. If I lose my best friend, my husband, my wife, it may take me a year, two years to work through the process. And the process, we, we call it a process, it's not exactly linear, it's not like you go from here to here and you close the door on this, it's sort of like we move here and then here and then kind of back and back and forth, but the point is, is our life moving or are we in danger of getting stuck? And that is a very real danger. To understand in the steps, the, it, we, we got to know, and this is again how God helps you and me process and cope with change. It begins with denial. When something happens, I can't believe that happened. And, and that's because, especially in, with a large loss, with someone who's very, very close to us, maybe closest person in our lives, it can be overwhelming. It can be more than we can comprehend. And so God, God gives us this ability to enter into some degree of denial so that it doesn't just sit on us all at once. But that moves then to a, a, a experience of anger as we, as we begin to, the truth begins to set in and we realize that it is changing. We don't like the change. We don't want the change. It's not something that, that we would have ever asked for or, the, or even if we understood it that we want to come into our lives. And so we struggle with this change and it makes us angry and we get angry at the, at the one who did it, if, they, if someone caused it. But we also sometimes get angry at the one who maybe left, who couldn't help. Or we get angry at God, why didn't he fix? Or we get angry at, at who knows what. But anger becomes a very real part as we begin to recognize that life is changing, which leads then to bargaining. The if-onlys, what-ifs, that start to plague us. If I'd only done this, if, I'd, if I could have, if, 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 if we could have gone there instead of there, this would have never happened. Like somehow we can go back and we can change the past. And it's a, it's a hard place to be. But it is a movement because we're starting to recognize something has changed and we're trying to figure out 
what we can do about it. Leads into a, a, a step called depression, not necessarily, necessarily medical clinical depression, but a deep sense of sadness that something has happened and I can't change it. There are no if onlys or what ifs. It is and I don't like it and I am very sad. Moving from there to acceptance. And acceptance doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean that it's good even. It does mean though, I am beginning to recognize that this is the new reality for my life and I am moving on. And the good news is for the follower of Jesus Christ, there's a sixth stage and that is hope. For the, for especially if it's a loved one we've lost, we know that if they committed their life to Christ and we have, we'll see them again. We know that God holds the future in his hands. We know that he is at work in all things and in all people. And so there is a sense of hope that what we see and what seems to be does not have to have the last word. And so all of this can occur again. It can occur with a pen in a matter of a minute or two. I can't believe I lost my pen. That makes me so mad. I, if only I had watched more carefully what I was doing with it. I, I guess it's gone, but that's okay. I've got another, or you know what? I can do better next time. I can get a better pen, or I'll be more careful. And you can work through it quickly. Or if it is a parent or a child or a husband or a wife or a brother or sister you're very close to or a very close friend, it may take a year or two. If, if, if someone has divorced you and left you and, and, and it was not your choice, it can take a year or two. And we, we have to understand that the danger is that we can get stuck somewhere in this process. We can get where we find ourselves not moving. I remember so clearly early in, in my life and ministry, uh, we offered a, a workshop for those who were struggling through divorce and we'd been doing it for a while and this woman came and most people were a few weeks to a few months out. This woman had been divorced for five years and as I got to know her story, uh, what she, she said was every day since that divorce, and she was a school teacher, she would go to school, she would teach, she would go home and that's all she did. She sat at home. She didn't go out, she bought the bare minimum of food. She never went anywhere with anyone. She was stuck. She was stuck in a horrible place and finally someone had convinced her to step, take some step, make some move and she had come and, and I don't wanna say that at the end of that time together she was perfectly healed but she, she began living a life again. And that's the case for a lot of us when we get into that, we get stuck Especially, it can be in the anger stage where we, we stuff that anger down. We are so angry or frustrated and it, it can turn into bitterness that, that harms not only us, but and sadly can harm others uh, that we come in contact with. It, we, we may not even see it anymore. And the Bible warns against this. In Ephesians it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each excuse me, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. If you were with us last week, uh, the movie Unbroken, the story of Louis Zamperini who suffered horribly from cruel treatment by his captors in World War II, and yet when the war ended and he was set free, he wasn't free, and, and he continued to struggle with, with all that had happened in him, 
And only as he received Christ into his life and forgave his captors, as the Bible calls us to, did he finally discover forgiveness freeze. In Big Hero 6, we see the lead character hero getting drawn down into this bitterness and and this desire for revenge, for getting someone, whoever did this to him. And his his friends begin to realize that they're going to lose him if he keeps going down this path. Now, there's, granted, we certainly all want injustices to be righted. We, we want to see those things happen. And those who do evil should be punished for, for their crimes, their sin. And, and those kinds of themes make great movies, but when we live them out ourselves, they are bad for us. When we decide it is up to me, it is up to us to get that revenge, man, we we seriously risk being consumed by it, of letting it eat away at our soul. Some of you may be there right now. Someone has done something to you, and and it has just got you to the point where you can't think or do anything else. You are consumed. Listen, revenge is a poison that we want to pour out on another that inevitably takes us down too. 3,000 years ago, King David realized this before he was a king, and thanks to a woman named Abigail who interceded on behalf of her husband Nabal, and Nabal in Hebrew means fool, so it was already there was some indication of what was coming. Uh, he, he was a jerk, and David had done some things for him, and he was unwilling to acknowledge it and unwilling to uh, uh, express appropriateness, and David was very upset by it. In fact, David was a very powerful man. He had many, soul, many men with him, and he was, he was consider, seriously considering taking this guy out until Abigail stepped in. And in 1 Samuel 25, David responds to her. He says, "'Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today.'" Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance on the ball with my own hands. He recognized it was something he wanted to do, something well within his power to do. And yet he recognized when someone stepped in that this revenge would have been so destructive. And it's not that vengeance may not be justified, but that it is not generally up to you and me to do that. God has, the Bible says God has in, set in place governments that have the responsibility ultimately on this earth for, for doling out appropriate punishment for crime, for, for hurt. And, and when they don't do that well, and not saying that everyone, every judicial judgment or whatever has always come out good, the point is that there is another judge, if you will, who sees all, who understands the whole picture, God himself, who is ultimately responsible. And God himself has claimed that responsibility since he is the completely fair judge who understands all sides of the story, who understands perhaps the hurt that the one who did the hurting is working out of, who maybe grew up with something, whatever the case may be, who offers who judges the situation correctly, rightly, and offers punishment or or whatever it may be as is appropriate in in the eternal scope of things. 
God's, God's revenge, his vengeance is never carried out with this out-of-control rage that sometimes we feel when something has happened to us. But it is always appropriate. It is measured. His anger never strays into sin. He can see unrighteousness and he can be angry about it and he can bring justice to it without sinning in the midst of it. And even if we never see the results in this life, and many of us won't. You have been hurt, things have happened to you, and you are rightly understanding that that maybe you have not seen justice come. There is no question about that, but God assures us in the full picture of life, not the time we are here on earth, but in a, a, across the scope of eternity, justice will be done. The Bible says in Romans 12, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. And the ultimate example of that is God's own son who suffered horribly for what he did not deserve or do. But here's what the Bible says. First Peter 2, for God called you to do good even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. You must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Now that's a faith decision, a faith commitment that you and I have to make. But Christ did nothing wrong. The Bible says he never sinned. Yet even he did not seek revenge but left it in the hands of God. How, how much more true must that be for you and me who cannot see all, do not know it all. We do know our hurt. We do see injustice. And revenge doesn't have to take just the form of killing someone or, or even just hurting another person. We are guilty of revenge when we say unkind comments about another person, when we gossip about them, around, behind them, and tell stories on them, when we sabotage a relationship because we don't think it's right, when we make comments on social media. Well, let me tell you, recently, I mean, stuff, it just keeps popping up to me. We, I'm not saying social media is a bad thing, but we seriously misunderstand the power of social media. When you are angry to use it to lash out or get even or revenge on another. Those words never go away. They're on a server somewhere. And we say things and we do things and we do them in anger. And you know what we're doing? More often than not, we're pouring gasoline onto that fire. I want to tell you, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with social media, but I want to caution every single one of us. Do not write in anger. Do not write for revenge. Do not do something to get even. Because you may discover you had more of a hand or there's more at stake than you know. And it's going to sit out there and it is going to come back and bite you. And many of you know that. And we're encouraged to put it all down. No, don't put it all down. 
There's some things that are, the Bible says when someone wrongs you, you approach them one-on-one. You don't put it out there for a thousand and one to know what happened. That's the wrong approach to dealing with that. When we seek that revenge, let me tell you, the corruption and the bitterness just grows in our hearts. We're taking on what the Bible says is, in fact, God's role. In a sense, acting out that first temptation that God had for Satan to eat the forbidden fruit with the promise of becoming like God, of knowing good and evil, and of acting out on that, that somehow I can make the right judgments and I can, I can make it come out and I can give revenge. And yet what we're doing is we're fooling ourselves. We are, we're playing the role of God and we are not God And as we see in Big Hero 6, those close to us, thankfully, are there to help us avoid seeking vengeance. The max man, he had had no one to confront him and and where his bitterness was taking him. And and he became so destructive toward others. And yet, thankfully for Hero, he had friends and they confronted him and they tried to hold him back. And no, they couldn't completely do it at first, but they stayed with him. They saw the rage. They saw the intensity for getting revenge that almost got others hurt and sometimes folks around us do get hurt as we live it out in our own lives. That's why there is so much power in doing life in community with others, of being in the community of faith, of having other men and women and students or whomever around us who does life, who talks with us, who shares with us, where we can talk through some of these things, where we can see both see folks modeling a lifestyle more like Christ and where we receive support and encouragement from those who, who know us and realize what's going on and that we're perhaps even self-destructing right before them and we don't even know it. We can get so bitter where God calls us and our friends perhaps can help us to get better. And ultimately, Hero gives up trying to get revenge. And he and his friends come together and they defeat the masked man. Like, like the Avengers, they're better together. And in fact, we see Hero taking his hurt and instead of it burying it or using it for revenge, he instead uses it as a catalyst for helping others. The six of them unite as, they, as you would expect in a, in a, a, comment, a, a movie. They unite to battle evil in their community. And that the truth of the matter is God desires us to unite, be united in community, to live out our faith, to redeem the hurts and injustices of this world. And whether it's through friendships or through life groups or journey groups or through just getting together, God works through that. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they're troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Early in my ministry, um, I, I said this, I organized workshops to help folks overcome the tragic effects of divorce and the good news is we will be offering a divorce care workshop in our next round of journey groups. Sign-ups just begin in a two or three weeks if this is something that, that matters to you. And one of the things I did is I, I, I recruited individuals who were emotionally, spiritually, reasonably healthy who had gone through divorce themselves, that they had that as a part of their, their story to help lead small groups in, in, in this 
this gathering. And after that, uh, we finished that first time around, I, I kept many of them on as small group leaders and recruited some of the ones who had gone through, who had, who had come quite a ways and were, were showing real movement in their lives and used them to work together in, in that time and future times after that. And I came to realize something that, that Henry Nowen talked about in one of his books. In fact, he titled the book Wounded Healers, is that these individuals, as they, as they took the hurt that God had, 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 had allowed to come into their lives or others had done to them, and instead of dwelling on it and allowing it to, to suck the life out of them, they had found that God could bring healing to them. And yet, even as they came out of it the first time and they were doing so much better, they discovered that their healing was still largely about them, but when they were challenged to take that and turn outward to say, how can I help others? What can I do? What can I take what has been done to me and it gives me unique insight that maybe many others don't understand. How can I come alongside another and use that? And God used that to begin bringing healing into the lives of others. These, these folks were incredible in how they would take their woundedness and allow God to use it to bring healing into the lives of others. More and more we saw this where instead of going down into bitterness, they trusted God to, to use their hurt in order to help others and become better. And what was amazing to me is I talked to a lot of these folks and we did evaluations afterwards. And what they said to me is the first time they went through the workshop, it really helped them because they were really hurting and, and, and they were in the, mired in the midst of stuff. And it, it enabled them, like the woman I told you, to begin to see life in a new way and turn outward some and, and begin to take some steps of moving again. But when they were then challenged to go a step further to say, okay, now how can you take the hurt you've experienced and now use it as knowledge and empathy to help another? When they went through that without knowing it, none of us knew it the first time we did it, they, they said, Randy, the second time we went through it, we, we discovered God brought even more healing into our lives than the first time. Why? Because it was no longer just about me. It was that as long as I stay turned in on me, there's, a, there's an unhealthiness there. God calls us to step beyond that and look outside of ourselves. That's where healing and health really begins to multiply. And the very process engaged them to do that, to help others. And, and we saw incredible progress for those who went through it and helped others. Wounded healers always got better faster than those who just simply stood by and watched. And I have observed this over and over again. In fact, every time I look at a significant ministry, whether it's in our church or another church or, or out in the community, over and over again, when you look at the heart of the one who is behind it, you will almost always find someone who's been through a deep struggle, been hurt, been in a place where, where they received things they didn't deserve or suffered through things that weren't their fault. And they could have gotten bitter, but they chose to get better. And they see what God can do to use what they've experienced to help others, to turn it around, to be more than just victims, but to be wounded healers that go beyond themselves and in doing so to bring health and wholeness not only into their lives, but into the lives of so many others. It's incredible. You look at that. I see it time and time again. One of the things Rick Warren has said, Pastor Rick Warren said, is God never wastes a hurt. 
And we have certainly seen that over and over again in ministries like Celebrate Recovery. Tomorrow night, dozens of folks will come together at 7 o'clock down in our, our, our life center. And what I know, what I know is that many of the leaders, in fact, all of the leaders have been there themselves. They've gone through those things. And God has turned them into wounded healers to varying degrees where they are taking what they have been through and they're offering it to you and to others who walk through the door for the first time because they understand it and they love you and they know that God can do so much more in your life if you will let them. We see that in ministries like Grief Share where people have suffered incredible losses of of people very close to them and, and they have chose to be used by God to help others through their grief and in the process. I don't mean everything is perfect, but God has been working in their lives as well. I listened to, in fact, this week in a, in a different small group, I listened to a couple of leaders talking about how they had been, they felt like brought to Gateway to find healing and what they were struggling with, and yet they didn't feel like they were released to go when they found that healing. They, in fact, felt like God was calling them to, to be examples to those, to be used by God for the sake of others. And that, to me, begins to show a sign of, of healthy healing, of what God can do, of choosing to, 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 to not get bitter, but to get better to choose that by the grace of God, through the power of his spirit at work in us. And that is a choice, guys. You can, you can wallow in it, and many people do. Or you can say, no more. I am going to take a step. I don't know where it will take me, but I am going to take a step. And, and that's all God ever calls any of us to do, to take that next step, to begin to move. This story gets played out over and over again by the grace of God as he transforms folks into wounded healers who choose to get better rather than bitter. And God then uses their circumstances to bring healing for others. Hero showed us this incredible power of having a group around us as we, we battle hurts in our lives. We need other followers of Christ around us to help us, to encourage us, to comfort us. We weren't created to suffer alone. We weren't created to, to have to dig our way out of these things by ourselves. And if you've tried, my guess is you have sunk. And very seldom have you necessarily gotten as far as God wants you to go. There's a poem, and I'm not a big poetry guy, but Robert Frost wrote this and that really speaks to me. He said, two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. Because see, the road less traveled, the, road, the less obvious road is typically the one you and I do not feel like going down. In the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of feeling like we have been, been a victim, that somebody has done something to us, we have been tempted to stay there And yet, choosing the right road makes all the difference for healing. Ecclesiastes says a wise wise person chooses the right road, a fool takes the wrong one. Christian singer Stephen Curtis Chapman said, I've learned that we can control where we allow things that we can't understand to fall. They either fall between us and God and we become angry, or we allow these things to fall outside of us and press us closer to God. Think about that. Every hardship, every loss that you and I face in life offers you and me the opportunity to grow closer to God, to trust him more, to become better rather than bitter. And in fact, James, the writer of James, says exactly that. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. Now, joy is not happiness. 
Joy is this deep sense that God can work something good from this and I will be blessed. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for anything. In other words, trouble builds character in our lives if we face it, if we allow God to walk us through it rather than withdrawing or sinking down or giving in or playing the victim forever. It doesn't mean that we have to like what's happening. I am not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. But when it happens, and it does happen, when it happens, we have the choice of whether we will allow our troubles to push us to be bitter or to be better. One of the great passages of the Bible summarizes the story of Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers. And yet God had a bigger plan to work through the adversity in his life. Joseph said to his brothers, Genesis 50, don't be afraid. You plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good in order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what happened. God used those incredibly difficult circumstances for Joseph to be a slave for years, to be in prison, to go through all of that to make him a better man, a compassionate man, a man who became a blessing to millions of people, including whether he realized it or not, his own family, and eventually the entire nation of Israel. That's why Paul said we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Maybe not a better good, okay? That's not what it's saying. But that there is good that can come out of it if we are looking for it and trusting God to work it out through us. And many times that good can bless others. In fact, that good can bless so many others that in the big scope of things, I have listened to people who have gone through tragedy and adversity who months or years later thank God because it enabled them to see things and live life in ways they never imagined and to be used by God to bless and encourage others. John Baker was an alcoholic and yet God used him to create Celebrate Recovery that has blessed hundreds of thousands of individuals since. And John would say, I would have never chosen it, but I thank God that God worked in it and has used it as a tool for making, bringing his healing into people's lives. We may not see it in the moment, but as we get along in life, we look back, we often see how God has woven something beautiful in the midst of our loss, something better, not bitter. A little boy was sick, and he was, he was telling his grandma everything was just going wrong. He was sick, school was too hard, he had family problems, he was hurting, all these hardships. And all the while, his grandmother was baking a cake, and she asked him if he'd like some, if he'd like a snack, and he said, well, of course, yeah, Grandma, so she said, here, have some cooking oil. She said, well, how about a couple of raw eggs? Gross, Grandma. Well, would you like some flour? Or how about a little bit of baking soda? Oh, Grandma, those are all yucky. And she said, yes, sweetheart, they are. Those things seem bad all by themselves. But when they are put together in the right way, they make a wonderfully delicious cake. Listen. God may be working in your life with the ingredients of your life to ultimately create a beautiful cake 
that will bless others, bless you in ways that you cannot even yet understand. If you trust him, you can get bitter or you can get better. All the ingredients are there in your life right now to go either way. You have to decide. But by the grace of God, I want to tell you, healing is not only possible, but God can use you and me to become wounded healers who comfort others as we have been comforted to change the world for the best. Nobody sets out to get wounded. Nobody likes it. Nobody wants it. But it happens. And God offers us the choice of becoming bitter or better. And as the movie Big Hero 6 ends, Hero has come to realize this. He says, we didn't set out to be superheroes, but sometimes life doesn't go the way you planned. The, thing, the good thing is my brother wanted to help a lot of people, and that's what we're going to do. Who are we? Big Hero 6. And as Betsy said, we'll be showing, offering a showing of that on Sunday, August 9th at 5. Our prayer team's going to be down here. Some of you, I know you're, you're in the middle of hurt. You're struggling. And sometimes you have to let the community of faith come around you and pray for you and encourage you. Some of you are in that process and you need to decide, will I get bitter or by the grace of God, can I become better? Heavenly Father, I pray for us this morning. Many of us are in places in our lives where stuff has happened. Sometimes we've had a role in it. Sometimes we have had no part whatsoever and it is not right and it is hurtful and it is so wrong. And yet, Father, the enemy wants nothing more than for us to wallow in that. And, and it, sometimes we feel like it's justified and sometimes we get so used to wallowing in it, God, we don't even realize it anymore and we don't know how to get out. I pray that you will help many people today take a step toward you Take a step away from bitterness toward better. To trust you that you can bring healing. That we can leave the hurts behind. We can trust you to be the, the eternal judge who will do whatever needs to be done, who can bring vengeance where it is appropriate. But Father, that is not up to us. Vengeance only corrupts our hearts. And if we're honest and wise, we can see that. Free us, Father, Help us to take the next step right now, today, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of how you can use us to be wounded healers, to be better rather than bitter. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.